The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Professor Joel Kim. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. While standing, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 and following. The faculty is actually going through 2 Corinthians. This is, I think, in the midst of our second semester doing so. But chapter 4 is our text for this morning, verses 7 through 18. We'll reflect upon the life of a minister here. Hear now the word of the Lord. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying the body, in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our inner nature is wasting away, our, inner, um, our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So for the reading of his word, please be seated. Things have been tough for Paul, and you see this at the beginning of our text when he alludes to, we are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, he says. In fact, the whole book of 2 Corinthians begins with this tone when he says in chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, for the, of the affliction we have experienced in Asia, he says. For we were so utterly burdened and beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Having spent nearly two chapters from chapter 2, verse 14, all the way up to chapter 4, verse 6, speaking about the glory and privilege of being a minister of the new covenant, greater than Moses, the reality of this ministry seems far from being glorious or glamorous. One only has to look at the latter chapters of 2 Corinthians in chapter 11 when he lists his sufferings and trials. He says he was beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, frequent and dangerous journeys, hunger and thirst, cold and exposure, the daily pressures. The list is actually quite long. He's tired. He's spent. He's beaten down. I wonder if you have ever felt that way. And perhaps some of you even feel that way right now as you try to finish up 
the, uh, the papers remaining. Either you guys have all finished it, or you guys have given up for being here about two weeks before the due date for your papers. It's at this point, my guess is, most people might have believed that they have fallen out of favor with God. Everything they see and experience might even confirm that sentiment and thought, but not Paul. Paul is astonishingly confident as he says, we do not lose heart, chapter 4, verse 1. We do not lose heart, chapter 4, verse 16. We are always of good courage, chapter 5, verse 6. We are of good courage, chapter 5, verse 8. What's Paul's secret? What sustains him? I do wonder, as we reflect upon different points, and we can't get into every detail of every verse, I wonder if the secret is found in chapter 4, verse 18, as he says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What does Paul see? On the one hand, Paul sees that he is, and in turn, we are weak. This is beautifully expressed in the description of messengers as being jars of clay, according to verse 7. Variously translated earthenware, earthen vessel, and my favorite from the New Living Translation, fragile clay jars, it says. The phrase denotes breakableness. They were considered fragile and expendable and without enduring value because they were cheap and often unattractive. Think of paper plates as we think about the way we serve other people, perhaps. In this worthless container, I'm sorry, maybe this doesn't fit with your self-assessment in terms of where you are and where you desire to be, but in this worthless, fragile, valueless container is found a treasure, something priceless, we're told. According to verse 6, we're told, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The contents of this jar gives it its value. The contrast is striking and intentional. It's precisely because the preachers are themselves weak and fragile that people, and oftentimes the preachers themselves, realize for the first time that the power of the gospel comes not from them, but from God. There is a divine purpose intended, as we see in the second half of verse 7, when it says, to show, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's not about us. It's about God. But not only do we see that we are weak, we also see that God is strong. God is strong, as we're told in verses 8 through 9, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. These are hardships of Paul in a nutshell and summary. The exhaustiveness of this suffering is indicated by the phrase translated, in every way. It could also be translated, at all times. And more importantly, this phrase, this prepositional phrase, is to be applied to all the predicaments or descriptions. We are afflicted in every way and in all places. We are perplexed in every way and in all places. 
We are persecuted in every way, in all places. We are forsaken in every way and in all places. But with each description of suffering, there is a divine answer. The answer is not simply taking away or softening of the hardships of Paul. In fact, that's never been promised. Rather, this is divine intervention. Every hardship provided an occasion for God to show himself strong and faithful. No wonder Paul is able to say with confidence in Colossians 1.24, I rejoice in the midst of my sufferings. No one desires it, no one seeks it, but in the midst of it, he sees joy, not because of his own strength, but because of the Lord's presence and intervention. When I was a child, or a baby in fact, my grandmother, who used to help in raising my older sister and I, used to sing us a song. And in fact, it became such a pattern in our family when my children, Anna and Simeon, were born, and as we were putting them to sleep at night, we would sing them the same song. It's a hymn. Oftentimes, we've come to realize that perhaps that these songs and the words found within are perhaps for kids because in many ways, although we still sing them, we think of them childish and oftentimes the contents do not come back to us. And the song simply says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Perhaps it's overly simplistic, and I apologize if it is. And perhaps it needs to follow with tenets of theology reminding us of his omnipotence and power. But there's something about that simplicity that should remind us that sometimes we overcomplicate things, that simply Paul reminds us we are indeed weak, and that's intentional in terms of the purposes of God. But while we are weak, God is strong. In the moments of weaknesses, God is there, and his power is seen, and not only the world around us who sees the faithfulness of the individual messengers, but the messengers themselves recognize it's not about them, but it's about God. It's God in them that allows them to endure and overcome. But it's not only that we're weak. It's not only that God is strong, but that he is coming is what he reminds us. He is coming. Thoughts about the future, in theology we use fanciful words like eschatology, usually means retirement for us. We think of preparing for 20 or 30 years. Far more energy, time, and preparation is given to the last 20 or 30 years of our lives than eternity, for sure. But not Paul. Verse 14 reminds us, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with him into his presence. He explained this fact before, actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The resurrection has come in Christ Jesus and will come again. And the resurrection of Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection harvest when all the believers, you and I, those of us who are in Christ Jesus our Lord, will also be included. The two resurrections are not two events, but two episodes of the same event. They are temporarily distinct, but understood together. 
Each represents the beginning and end of the spiritual harvest. And this final harvest in Christ Jesus, when you and I will be resurrected, vindicated, justified before God, and declared glorious for all eternity because of Christ Jesus, is coming. The resurrection is coming. Maranatha is what we declare. It is the day when all afflictions will come to an end. All the longing will be fulfilled and all the wrongs will be righted. It is the day when we meet God face to face. Thus the hymn that we sang earlier, the sands of time are sinking. The sands of time are sinking, the hymn uh, hymn writer says. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've uh, sighed for, the fair sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark hath been the midnight, but day spring is at hand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. But there's this beautiful imagery in the second verse of seeing God face to face on that day. The king there is, his beauty without a veil is seen. It were a well-spent journey through seven deaths lay between. The lamb with his fair army doth on Mount Zion stand, And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. That's the day that awaits. That's the day that we long for. That's the day that we pray for. Seen from that eternal perspective, our days here are temporary. And that's what Paul is trying to remind us in verses 16 and 17. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Why? For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Notice this description. Afflictions on this side of glory are momentary when it comes to time and slight when it comes to its impact and weight. This is contrasted with the eternal glory, which is indeed eternal when it comes time, and weighty when it comes to its worth. In chapter 1, as I reminded all of us earlier, Paul talked about his afflictions in Asia that left him translated this way, so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Literally, it can be translated, way down beyond measure, is what he said. Using the very same words this time, he says, the life on this side of glory is momentary. Life on that side of glory, the glory that awaits us, is weighty and beyond measure. The way he might have temporarily felt on this side of glory, on that side of glory, is weightless to us. If viewed from below, Paul's suffering and hardships would be unbearable and meaningless. But when viewed from above, and when compared with the glory that is weighty and beyond measure, the hardships he was undergoing in serving Christ appeared both insignificant as well as momentary. As one scholar states, in the light of eternity, the suffering took on the opposite hue, The eye of faith creates a new perspective. If you, brothers and sisters, have not undergone the kind of suffering and hardships that Paul describes, and I know I I don't measure up 
in terms of the faithfulness he has displayed in living his life for Jesus Christ, I think we can safely say that that day will come. I hate to say it because I hate to bring news of doom in some ways, but the reality of ministry is such that those days are going to be far more frequent than you desire them to be. But may the Lord, whether it's today, weeks to come, months or years to come, grant you eyes to see from the perspective of eternity so that you may see yourself correctly, that you may see the Lord clearly, that indeed what you may experience and see is both the power and faithfulness of the Lord. May this perspective of eternity guide you, guard you, as well as to open your eyes to see the work of the Lord, his faithful presence in your life this very day. Let's pray. Father, we confess without hesitation that we are indeed weak. We lack wisdom. Our bodies are frail. Lord, our worth comes not from what we have done or what we will do. Our worth does not even come from the grades that we will get for this semester. Not that we're seeking mediocrity, O Lord, but oftentimes in our hearts, our minds, are too much on those things that are temporary and momentary. Lord, our worth comes from Christ in us. We are your sons and daughters, received by King of Kings, justified by the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Our standing does not and cannot change. We are grateful that we belong to you, O Lord. We're so thankful, O Lord. You see us not for what we have done, but you see us through the lens of your Son, Jesus Christ. Receive us for who we are, O Lord. Grant to us peace in our hearts, as well as overflowing joy, not based upon our merit or the accomplishments that we can bring before you, but simply because of the life lived and died and resurrected on our behalf in Christ Jesus. Lord, may our eyes be opened by your Spirit to see present life from the perspective of eternity, that our momentary successes are just that, momentary, that our failures and our hardships are just that, simply failures as well as difficulties that will be for a while. Pray that our trust and our confidence will be in you and you alone, that we may echo the words of Paul when we say, here, simply, our hearts, our hearts are not dismayed. So strengthen us, O Lord, by your Spirit. Guide us in the weeks to come. May our eyes be focused upon you. May the eternal glory and the perspective that comes from it guard our hearts and guide our minds as we finish out this semester well and strong. For we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.